Hola. Hello. Yakwe. Osemwanem. This is Vossa, storytelling and celebrating creators, thinkers and changemakers, proudly supported by the World Bank in the Pacific and PNG. We hear from amazing Pacific humans about what makes us tick, what challenges us, and what the future looks like in the communities, countries and region we call home. I'm Mernela Tikao, your host in Suva, Fiji. Today, we are going to talk about sex and relationships. What conversations are we having about sex and relationships in the Pacific? And what can we do to make sense of it all and make the best decisions for ourselves and our loved ones? Making informed and powered choices makes a world of difference in the quality of our lives and helps us plan for a better future. And before we start, I'm letting you know we're going to be tackling some taboos and potentially triggering subject matter in this story, but in positive, healthy ways. If any of the content raises any issues for you, check out Voss's social media platforms and our show notes for resources and contacts to sexual and reproductive health and counseling services across the region. Set? Let's dive in. Get ready to meet Irene Abbock and Ghislaine Naoni, two brilliant young Ni Vanuatu women working with feminist NGO Sister, both working single mothers. Todd Mulroy of Youth to Youth in Health, a teen pregnancy prevention project in the Marshall Islands. Yana Ali Trail of Fiji, a young woman and a trained counselor in sexual and reproductive health. And Renata Ram, country director for UNAIDS based in Suva, Fiji, covering 14 Pacific countries. Knowledge is power. And with that power, you can make life-changing decisions for yourself and for the people you love. Sexual health is, you know, a part of the process of maturing as an adult. So shying away from the subject matter is doing more harm than good. In her work with UNAIDS, Renata Ram looks at changing conversations about sex from ones of doom and gloom to ones of empowerment, knowing what you need to know to make your own informed choices. She is under no illusion, though. This is neither simple nor easy in the Pacific, let alone other regions. You know, in talking about perceptions here in the Pacific, we have to look at the cultural perception of um, sex or sexual health, sexuality. Talking about anything about sex is a very taboo subject in the Pacific. And due to this conservatism, our awareness campaigns can be very challenging. Changing the conversation and changing behaviour. Challenging, sure. But expanding the conversation about sex is also important. Sex doesn't exist in a vacuum. There are relationships, identities and complexities. Entire human beings involved, and usually more than one. According to Renata, comprehensive sex education can go a long way towards enriching the conversation and helping people talk to each other about stuff that can be hard to discuss. So it's education that promotes structured learning about sex and relationships in a manner that is positive, affirming, and centered on the best interests of the young person. Todd Mulroy, in his work with young people in the Marshall Islands, agrees. Where there are human beings involved, healthy relationships matter. Healthy relationships and how to become more confident in making decisions for your own life and your own body. So we start from sixth grade to 12th grade with certain curriculums, but we've recently been partnering with UNFPA to do a comprehensive sexual curriculum review and working with our 
other partner, the public school system to do an in-school curriculum and out-of-school curriculum and ensuring what is a good fit for the RMI in itself. As Todd acknowledges, whatever is taught needs to be a good fit for the country or community involved. Here's what he observes from his work with youth and their experiences on a daily basis. I've always seen relationships built on first going through like a dating phase and then dating for a while and then may lead to being more intimate and more sexual. Here I feel the youth are more sexual and intimate first before building the relationship. And I think some of those, I think because of that, there's challenges that they face in healthy relationships with each other. So what's it like growing up and exploring sex and relationships as a young Pacific woman? Irene Abbott, a young Ni Vanuatu woman juggling her career and single motherhood, has a story to tell. With my personal experience, to be honest, I I grew up um, finding it taboo to talk about being in a relationship with a boy to my parents because at the end of the day, we have a, um, a cultural mentality or background um, I think with other Pacific Island countries too, pretty much the same. We cannot um, hide or deny the fact that as we grow up young adolescents, we're starting to experience all these hormones. We're starting to experience all these feelings. And just having a conversation with a boy is already a no-no. And I have to meet my boyfriend at somewhere at the end of the school, outside the school boundaries, or somewhere in town, the seafront or somewhere, to just talk to him and get to know him because there is no, um, I, I can't do that. I can't do that at home. I, I can't do that within school boundaries, and I can't because I've been restricted by all these, you know, these social norms and, yeah, with, with my cultural background. So that creates a lot of risk. I get in trouble with my parents because, yes, one, why am I late? Two, what have I been doing this whole time? And, and it's really hard to communicate that. So that, that creates a lot of, um, a lot of tension. And I, I lost that trust with my parents when all, all I'm just doing is just, just experiencing myself, you know, starting to know myself. Ghislaine Nauni, a colleague of Irene's and herself a young Ni Vanuatu working woman and a mother, shares a similar experience. My dad is a pastor, and also he's Chifri tribe, and he's uh, from Southern part of Vanuatu. So I'll say I grew up in two different cultures. When she began dating as a teenager, Ghislaine's first attempt at broaching the subject with her parents was not well received. So when I go to school, I'm not allowed to come back and say, Mom or Dad, I have a boyfriend because I know my dad and mom. Like, automatically, if I say I have a boyfriend, my mom's going to shut me down. Like, mom and dad said, anything, come and talk to us. But then that space is very limited. No space for relationships. Sex? Forget about it. It's never going to be discussed at all. Or if it is, it'll be in hushed tones. As a young person growing up, it was, oh, yeah, you know, that's sex. Oh, yes, you know, like, oh, they don't want to discuss this. Or you heard about birth control. Like, are you ever going to do it? And it was these very surface-based 
conversation. To be fair, adults don't have it easy. For a teacher talking about sex to a classroom of teenagers, for example, can be pretty daunting, recalls Yana Ali Trail of Fiji. She's a trained counsellor and advocate for young people on sexual and reproductive health and services. They are going to tease, you know. Teachers don't like to teach it in classrooms, right? Because you say sex in a classroom full of teenagers and you're going to get the spoiling. You're going to get the, hey! <laughs> because I've been in that classroom. I've been one of those kids. While there are well-intentioned efforts for in-school learning about sex and sexual health, it doesn't always work out the way it should, says Renata. Here in the Pacific, uh, there are some elements covered in schools, but mostly it's an extracurricular or an optional subject. In most cases, you would have either your maths or your science teacher taking the class. And this makes it very awkward for a lot of students because they don't have that freedom to actually ask questions or that safe space. That reluctance to open up can range from schools to homes, as Irene and Ghislaine can attest. It's really hard to communicate that with them because I don't know where to start. And I'm still yet to discover about my own body, safe sex and all that stuff. I mean, what do I do? You know, all these boundaries, all this respect about myself and my body, loving my body and all that. I, I just don't have that sort of support at home. It's taboo. So what are we doing here, Mary? You may ask. Leave it alone already. Shush. Our guests explain why staying quiet is not a good idea. People are entitled to sexual and reproductive health services to ensure their physical and emotional health, safety and well-being. Yet in many countries in this region, there's significant legal and policy barriers that still persist. And this includes, um, you know, the age of consent uh, limitations, the criminalization of sex work and also of same-sex relations, that really prevents this from happening. And these harmful barriers mean that people in need are deterred from seeking and accessing essential services with damaging consequences. If there is information out there that can help you make better decisions about your life and your health, for your own benefit and that of the people you love, you have a right to know. People have a right to information about their sexual health that is medically accurate, age-appropriate and culturally competent, free from judgment and shame. My experience as a young Pacifica woman here, accessing the services, I had little to no experience. I felt so scared to access it because it was really, it wasn't taught to me. It wasn't made known to me that I have the right to access this. People are talking about sex and relationships. You better believe it. Opinions and speculation abound. But the quality of those conversations and whether they're actually happening between sexual or intimate partners is not serving our information needs. And where information, resources and support are lacking, misinformation thrives. You know, the internet is there. And that could go very wrong if you're letting children, you know, young people learn from the internet to bridge this information gap. And, uh, you know, having a very conservative environment 
and the emergence of technology can be a very dangerous place for young curious people who are accessing the internet to learn about sexual health. And, you know, the lack of comprehensive sexuality education would affect an uninformed person on what meaningful relationships are, what sex is, and the risks involved in terms of unprotected sex. Sifting through the fog of misinformation, our guests note that some of the very basics are missed out on. Firstly, consent. If you do not understand the concept of what consent is, you should not in any way, shape or form be intimate with another person because consent is everything. Consent is a process. It's something that happens before, during and after. Yana uses the memory aid of fries to describe consent. F for freely given, not forced or coerced. R for reversible, meaning that you can change your mind at any time. I for informed, you've got to know what the implications are for what you are consenting to. E for enthusiastic, not signaled or implied, but unmistakably enthusiastic. And S for specific. She adds an important point for all sexual health conversations. Consent is not just for cisgendered heterosexual people. It's for anyone and everyone. Knowing what you are consenting to requires knowing and recognizing your ownership over your own body, something that not all youth are accustomed to or supported with. And I also think it's an issue on both male and female youth is that they don't know their own bodies. It's rarely spoken about and then not knowing their own bodies or the reproductive systems or what can happen to them when they become sexually active. Consent means owning and appreciating your own body and respecting the ownership of others over theirs. This is your body and only your body. You do not owe it to anyone else. No one has access to your body. How can you take responsibility for something that you don't know that what it is, right? You know, it's How can you say, hey, this is my body if you don't, like, if you aren't taught about what your body is, you know, how can you take ownership of it? Secondly, it's so important to be able to talk about and appreciate your body in your own language. This can be a struggle, says Irene. I mean, with Vishlama in itself, there is no terminology, there's no right word to address our, um, our genitals, the penis and the vagina. Which is hard to explain. I mean, it's already hard enough to even verbally mention that word without feeling safe or, you know, okay with it, to express yourself. I mean, I have a daughter now, she's four, and I'm going to use English when I talk about that sex talk to her. I will speak English, then Bishlama, transition my way in between. But to use the, the, the words in Bishlama to address these these um, genitals, our, our private parts, it's really hard. I don't know what else to use, what type of language to use. Yana remembers her own experience of unpacking her own reluctance to talk about her body without shame or judgment during an information session with young women on menstrual hygiene. One of the things that I noticed was that every time I said vagina, people would tense. And I had to stop because even myself, I had to hype myself up to be able to be to say vagina in front of these young group of women. I'm standing there in front of everyone with this microphone and I'm saying, right, I am going to say vagina and you are going to repeat after me. I said it 
And I got like a very like, vagina, I got it. And then it's like, no, say it, say it with your being, say it. And then, you know, in typical Fiji fashion, you have to hype people up. And in a way, I was hyping myself up as well. There are real physical, mental and social consequences to uninformed decisions about sex and relationships. I mean, the stakes are high. It's our lives, our well-being, our happiness. Because sex should be based on consent, it is absolutely your right to decide on your own terms. Whatever your decision is, play it safe. STI and HIV data in the Pacific should be viewed with a lot of caution. As data in the Pacific is derived mainly from HIV or STI testing. So, you know, these services are very opportunistic. The testing services are just not there or the health providers do not go out to try and get um, these people tested. So majority of the HIV and STI cases have not been identified and the actual numbers are considerably higher. So we really need to have more conversations and awareness and also more accessibility to condoms. Access to condoms really empowers individuals to make safer decisions and condoms are not always available, especially to young people. Without the hidden stigma, it comes when young people actually try to access it. Talking about a real experience shared by young people at a consultation, Renata recounted how young people shared that at a university clinic, they'd wait for the nurse to leave the front desk before grabbing handfuls of the condoms that were in a bowl out front. Resources, policies and services can be there, but in an unsafe, judgment-heavy environment, all that effort can prove futile. You have legislations put in place. You have, you know, organizations such as Medical Services Pacific, which I worked for. You have clinics around which advocate. But even then, the information is there. The services are there, but it's the accessing of it. It's the making, the, it's having the safe environment, the open-mindedness to access this information. What to do about this cycle of shame and judgment that prevents people from accessing life-saving information? Jana, who has Samoan, German and Indian heritage, explains. One thing I've noticed is that sexual health is considered to be a very westernized thing. So like when my, some of my family, my Samoan family found out I was doing this, they said, oh, that's very fiapalani, you know, which is like to be like a white person. And um, I think for me, that's when I realized just one of the main reasons why, you know, these things are perceived as such in our communities. And having a highly policed environment that continues to emphasize abstinence and nothing else is not working. So unsafe uh, sex practices are the main mode of HIV transmission in the Pacific. And, you know, as mentioned earlier, the high STI rates and low condom use it's very worrying. An emphasis on abstinence and the negative consequences of sex really discourages young people from speaking about uh, sexuality. Judgment and shame can keep people in line on the surface, while in actual practice, a whole lot of unhealthy decisions are made. I also see there's a lot of trust issues amongst youth when it comes to relationships and trust issues when it comes to accessing contraceptives to have a healthy relationship. So 
there's those issues and stigmas around accessing contraceptives for youth and having a safe and healthy relationship with each other. Having this abstinence-only education program is we're not teaching our youth, we're not preparing them at all. We're just like, hey, just stay abstinent. You know, like I went leaving these completely vulnerable, impressionable group of people who have access to the internet alone. And then we want to hold them accountable for when they make stupid decisions. The burden can fall heavily on young women. Todd observes the same with young teenagers. I think also it comes whenever there's an issue with a relationship when it comes to maybe sexual violence or forced sex. It's always looked at as the female being in the wrong or majority of the time the female being in the the wrong like how did you let that happen it must have been what you were wearing or and also when it comes to teen pregnancy it's the female that has more repercussions of possibly being kicked out of the school or having to lose their job um with a male counterpart um kind of gets away scot-free perhaps i should say Everyone I spoke to talked about the role of religion and culture in people's perceptions of sex and relationships. It can present an existential crisis, one that can see young people miss out on life-saving, life-changing information and choices. One girl I was speaking to, her and I were about the same age, and she looked at me dead in the eyes and she said, but what if God will stop loving me? What if I try to go into church and they know and stop me? And that was a really emotional part for me because I've seen this in my families. I have seen people completely disregard the topic of sex. I am so proud of my culture and religion. And it's fantastic that this is our identity and that we're in this part of the world where we've been able to maintain it. But when it comes to a topic like sex, a lot of young people feel as if they are betraying their culture and their religion because they want to know more about sex. It's a struggle Jana can empathize with. In this professional standpoint, I am struggling to try and fit into this idea of what a good Pacific Islander woman is and being sex positive. You know, so I and I know that this is a a conversation that needs its own space and time because there's so much more to unpack. But this is one of the biggest issues I have encountered while trying to educate and empower other youth through the information. Information that is medically correct, age-appropriate, culturally competent, is empowering. According to Renata, it opens up horizons to a broader, positive spectrum of how sex and relationships are experienced. We need to understand the traditional way of talking about sex and sex education is all about reproduction, about what disease you will get if you have sex. You know, it's very scary, but it needs to be seen in a positive and an empowering way. And knowing that technology is, is on your side now, it's no longer a death sentence. There are ways in which a health provider can assist you. And so please, I would really encourage people know your sexual health status. 
There are also opportunities to break damaging cycles of norms like domestic violence and intimate partner violence through comprehensive sexual education. Given our state in terms of domestic violence or intimate partner violence, CSC plays such an important role in having young people understand the importance of respect and respecting one another, the importance of their actions on one person and how it can affect them for life, that meaningful social and sexual relationship that we don't necessarily get from home, right? For a lot of us in the Pacific, many children grow up seeing violence in their homes and thinking this is correct. But having someone else tell you like the importance that that is not correct and the importance of a loving um, relationship and what it looks like is something that CSC can really bring out and change for the next generation. All our guests are overcoming their own unique challenges in making sex and relationships a positive, healthy and affirming space. This is what keeps Yana going, the opportunity to make a life-changing impact with accurate information. Having that experience is what propelled me to try and do this talking openly about sex to people my age because, yeah, they can spoil me, but I can spoil them back. But it's being able to find that balance, you know, and being able to relate to them and giving them this proper, accurate information. Things are changing. Irene and Ghislaine are both proud mothers, and after some not-so-great experiences, both are now happy with partners and speaking out to raise their children differently. As Irene notes, they're seeing positive changes within their own families. I, I overheard them um, one night at dinner table. My mom, you know, um, turned asking my, my little brother that, okay, if you have friends and if you have a girlfriend, you want to do some projects or some homework, please bring them over to the house. I'd rather have you doing that at home than having you somewhere where I, I don't know what's going on and, and I, I don't want to have to worry about you and where you're at and if you're okay. So when I hear that, I'm like, oh, wow, <laughs> that's that's really good because, you know, my, my parents are also learning and growing with me, to be honest. Both Irene and Ghislaine are adamant that they want to create the safe space they craved with their own children. Irene is taking these lessons into her relationship. My current partner now, he's, he's very understanding and we communicate with everything, even our sex life. I am grateful for that. It's such a blessing now that and if it's anything, I, I, I feel that we should talk about it more so that we're all communicating right and just sharing the love, sharing, sharing the love and understanding. Yeah. Irene and Ghislaine are in relationships based on respect, love for their children, and a commitment to communicate. Ghislaine recounts how she recently spoke on a panel about dating in Vanuatu and was surprised to see her father, a pastor, in the audience. The first person I noticed was my dad. And then I was like, Dad, is that you? And he's like, yeah, but he was reading the posters. And then he came to mind. Um, the issues that the girls, they identified, and then we put it up, uh, the case studies. So he was reading mine. So the questions was, 
uh, what is dating in Vanuatu. For me, it's the context in Vanuatu. We don't know what is dating. Whenever there's two young people, all the parents or some parents, they were like, okay, he's going to be your husband and you're going to be his wife. And I was like, no, we were starting to have this relationship. We have to get to know each other as boyfriend and girlfriend. After speaking her piece, Ghislaine, now in her 20s, told me she later heard her father tell her mother that he now appreciates that Ghislaine is an adult, working, raising her own child and living her own life. Speaking of generational change, it's hard to escape the virtual space. Social media, dating apps and technology are here to stay. And they are changing the way sex and relationships unfold in the Pacific. Todd sees it unfolding in the Marshall Islands. Other than TikTok being the most famous social media app around right now, the outer islands are now being serviced with internet um, and phone lines. I've noticed their accessibility to Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and other apps that the youth are using here. I do think social media is having an impact on the youth when it comes to um, healthy and safe environments. There's no real proper discussions around cyber safety or how to navigate safely through those applications. Acknowledging that it does have its pitfalls, Renata also sees the opportunity in using technology for good. In terms of our um, sexual uh, reproductive health efforts, we really need to take that opportunity and invest more in um, engaging with our young uh, generations through social media and uh, through all these dating apps. You know, they're not going to go away anytime soon instead of the traditional handing out of pamphlets, which is shown now to be very ineffective. So the opportunity is here, and there are many examples that can be used, and we really need to uh, invest in digitalizing um, sexuality education. There is important work happening with teen sexual health projects all around the Pacific. Families can and are becoming more open loving and understanding in their approach, like Irene's and Ghislaine's. And young people like Yana are advocating for shame-free, judgment-free information for sexual health based on consent and communication. It doesn't have to be one big, full-blown conversation you have in one seating, and that means everything is good. You know, it's, it can be little parts of your day. It can be little parts of your conversation. So those spaces that I've held on Twitter I've actually had a lot of couples, you know, or half of couples reach out to me and say, great, you know, we were both listening in on this space. You know, you've given us a conversation starter. Communication, you know, talking about sex shouldn't only be within the couples. It should be at home as well, you know, with your family and your elders. And it's okay to admit, you know, for the elders to say, I don't know what I'm talking about or I'm a bit uncomfortable, but I love you and I care about you, this is a conversation we need to have. It's a conversation we need to have. Not to scandalize, judge, or shame, but because we love and respect ourselves, our boundaries, and that of others. And we care enough about ourselves, 
our friends, partners, children, and family members to have conversations that can keep us healthy, safe, and well. Importantly, I think it's great to draw strength from people, families, and communities that are evolving as they grow from experience, not letting taboos get in the way of a healthy, rewarding life. You know, to start it off with, it, it begins from our homes. We don't have that sex talk with our parents. I mean, not in my case, no. It, it's almost a taboo to talk about our reproductive system and all of these important good parts of our body that we should appreciate. And these are the main taboo topics. Let's talk about sex. I think that's exactly what needs to be done. I think pe- people need to talk about it more. I think there needs to be more communication between a parent, guardian, and youth, or a teacher or a counselor and youth about safe sex, sex relationships, um, how to take care of yourself and how to take care of your body. Vinaka, komo tata, and thank you to mas, to everyone who joined the conversation. We'll be posting resources and contacts for sexual health and counseling services across the region on Voss's social media platforms. Check out our Facebook page for show notes. Look at you back again next fortnight on Vossa when we move on to talk about a topic closely related to this episode. Parenthood. What's it like being a parent in the Pacific? What are we keeping and what are we changing from the way we were parented? And of course, what are our dreams for our children? If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on social media and share the podcast with your community. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the issues we're covering and we'd love to include your voice in the show. DM your voice message to the Vossa Facebook page and tell us about your reflections on parenthood. What are your biggest parenthood lessons? Until then, take care and stay safe, Olgeta. Bye.